BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey everybody, welcome to the Phillies Talk Podcast presented by Team Toyota. I'm Corey Sivan, he's Jim Salisbury, and we're coming to you a day early this week because of the big news of JT Real Muto returning to the Phillies on a five-year contract worth $115.5 million. So, Jim, JT Real Muto, he gets his wish of becoming the highest paid catcher ever on an annual basis, and the Phillies bring back one of the most important players in baseball. Took a long time to get here. Uh, but, man, did this change really the complexion of their offseason. Yeah, they bring back a very popular player, very productive player. Uh, you can see a batting order and a lineup coming together. Still need to address shortstop. But you're right, it did take a long time. These things always take a long time whenever you're talking about upper-tier free agents. We saw it all over baseball this winter. And, um, you know, I think the Phillies made a good deal uh, in, in this um, – you know, Real Muto was look, looking not only set records, he was looking to blow the roof off uh, the catching market. Uh, salaries uh, for catchers uh, now and down the road. Um, you know, when they originally started talking in the spring, I mean, you know, his reps came in, you know, looking for average annual values of like $30 million, uh, $200 plus million package over seven years. Uh, and, and, you know, you can, you can do the math on that. Now, I, I know whenever there's a negotiation, one side starts high, one side works low, and you work toward the middle. Um, but, you know, he really – he had some very, very big expectations, and the Phillies ended up getting him um, for, you know, $85, 90000000 million less than um, he was originally seeking when negotiations still started. Uh, and they got him on a five-year deal, play at 30 this year. I see no reason he can't catch at age 30, 31, 32, 33, 34. Uh, so I think the term is good. I think the AAV is fair um, because I do think he is the best catcher in baseball. Joe Maurer previously had the highest AAV for catchers at $23 million. Uh, Real Mudo sets his record, right? He, he, he is $23.1 million on the AAV. He is more than Maurer. Mara was an extension. Posey was an extension. Um, so if you look at sheer free agent contracts for catchers, it's the largest um, ahead of Brian McCann when he was with the Yankees by like 35%. So JT, you know, he did set a record. That said, I, like I said, I think the Phillies still made a good deal. And look at it this way. In 2010, Joe Maurer signed that extension with um, Minnesota that paid him the $23 million AAV. It was like a $184 million extension. And he got that $23 million AAV as the best catcher in baseball more than a decade ago. So only in a decade has the AAV for the top catcher in baseball over a decade, it's only gone up by a hundred grand. You know what? Kind of tip my hat to the Phillies on that one. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Well, a couple, a couple reactions to that. You see JT's point about it being unfair that the catcher market hasn't been like progressing in a linear way with other positions. It is crazy that a decade later that the AAV is only uh, rising by that small amount. The other thing about Joe Maurer's deal, by year four of that deal, he was exclusively a first baseman. So, right. you know, your point about it being a five-year deal and only carrying JT through like his age 34 season, yeah, he should be able to catch a majority of that deal. Whereas if they had to go seven years, $200 million, you know, is he catching more than half of that contract? So the Phillies did, you know, seem to get the deal that they wanted. Um, it's, just, it's, just, it's just kind of interesting that, uh, you know, where things were a couple years ago, where they are now, Matt Klintak, uh kind of looks good right now, right? For not uh, jumping on, on things a little earlier than they needed to be. And if the, you know, it probably would have taken the Phillies significantly more money to get a deal done with JT six months ago, a year ago, right? Um, yes, yes. And then the pandemic hit. And, and look, that was a huge game changer. Um, and ultimately, this deal, the credit goes to ownership, right? They're the ones writing this massive paycheck. Dave Dombrowski came in and got the ball over the finish line. Uh, but you're right. Matt Klintak back in June made a comment when the moratorium on negotiations was lifted. He made a comment that the landscape has changed and we're going to have to um, wait this thing out and see what happens. He took a lot of heat in, t in this town for that comment. But ultimately, the landscape did change. The Phillies waited it out and they got their man. So uh, I agree with you, Matt Klintak. Um, you know, I think he deserves a tip of the cap on that. Obviously, ownership got this done. Dave Dombrowski got it done. Uh, but, you know, it takes a village. It takes a team. And, and Matt Klintak, who was there in the, in the beginnings of these negotiations, um, he, he basically was right. The landscape had changed. And ultimately, um, it, it helped. It benefited the Phillies. So the Phillies have now spent more money so far this offseason than every team in baseball except for the Blue Jays. That could change, you know, if the Mets signed Trevor Bauer, for example, that would change significantly. Uh, but this is a bunch of off seasons now in a row that the Phillies have given out these huge contracts. I think it's something <laughs> like, a bill, what is it, a billion dollars over the last, like, three off seasons? I mean, well, it was, um, I, I, I've done the math several times. Previous to this winter, so the previous three off seasons, it was like 708 million dollars of commitments and free agent commitments what are they at this winter so now you're at about 122 million just with jt and archie bradley so you're well over 800 million the last four years in uh in free agent commitments um yeah they they continue to they're a big market team that continues to act like a big market team so yeah and now I, they need I, to make I the playoffs that. yeah now they, they need to make the playoffs <laughs> and this is right. this is That's a lot of spending that's what makes you want to take this head and pound it against that wall. I mean, that's why the front, they blew up the front office. Um, they, they've had ample resources to get something done here, and they haven't gotten anything done. That's why Dave Dombrowski is here. Um, but, 
you know, coming into this offseason, there was talk and revenues were down all over the game and teams all over the game have done this. They've peeled back their payrolls, right? They've reduced their payrolls. They've retrenched. Some dramatically have, had, have sold off talent. Uh, the Phillies talked about um, the, they were pretty open in the fact that they were going to have to scale back the payroll some, but it ain't getting scaled back that much. Uh, not getting sc- scaled back that much. And uh, JT is here. Good pickup in, in Archie Bradley. And, you know, they're still going to have to add a shortstop here and maybe even some more p- pitching help. Uh, not saying they're by far the team to beat in the division, but uh, I still think this can be, be an interesting team. And this winter uh, is going to turn out, turn out much better than we all anticipated because it really kind of looked gloomy back there uh, in, uh, when they started kind of, um, you know, setting out the blueprint for the offseason uh, back in maybe October. Yeah, I mean, part of me, just the, the Philadelphian in me, uh, almost wonders, like, what the reaction would have been if Real Muto did end up with the Mets. Just, God, the city would have just freaked out. All month long, NBC Sports Philadelphia presents Headstrong, Men's Health and Sports Headstrong, a series about men's health told through powerful stories involving the athletes we love. Learn more on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com slash Headstrong. Okay, so the Phillies are at $180 million, and the 2021 luxury tax threshold is $210 million. Last season, the Phillies were right under that, right, Jim? Yes, uh, they were like 207 and change. So they finished right under that luxury tax, yes. So now there's wiggle room beneath where they were last year, and the Phillies still need a shortstop. They still need more pitching both in the bullpen and, quite frankly, rotation depth. I know they signed Ivan Nova the same day that they agreed to this deal with JT Real Muto, and that now gives the Phillies, I guess, six guys capable of starting games in 2021. There are five rotation guys plus Ivan Nova on this minor league deal. Uh, but – Shortstop and bullpen and starting pitching help. Let's start with shortstop. Uh, you know, you had reported that the Phillies and Andrelton Simmons, that was their top target after um, learning that he was willing to take a short-term deal. But then Simmons came off the board the same day as JT. Right, right. Well, I think D.D. Gregorius was initially, you know, a couple of weeks ago, their top target. They had had some talks and there was some traction for an agreement. Uh, and that kind of – fell apart or started to crumble at his insistence on a, uh, a longer-term deal than I guess the Phillies were comfortable with. And the Phillies learned that Simmons, who they had been keeping in touch with uh, at the same time, and they were also keeping in touch with other shortstops, but they had learned Simmons would take a one-year deal. He became the focus. Ultimately, he goes to Minnesota getting $10.5 million. So logic dictates they were outbid on a one-year contract. So that would um, – seemed to indicate they'd have to circle back to D.D. Gregorius. Um, the landing spots are disappearing. The pool of shortstops is disappearing. Um, whether or not that makes D.D. more open to a contract of a shorter term, and I'm not sure if it's one or two or one and an option, um, whether or not that makes him open to something like that on a return to the Phillies, uh, I think they would like to see that happen. Uh, and if it doesn't happen, they're going to have to explore the trade market because there were quite a few shortstops out there this winter. Simeon, Freddie Galvis, um, Simmons, Didi, guys I would call everyday guys, but, you know, three of them signed the other day and three of them signed one-year deals. So market's really leaning toward one-year deals. We'll see if that helps the Phillies get, get um, Didi back on a deal that agrees with them. 
Otherwise, they're going to have to pursue something in a trade because, you know, there's, it's clear they don't want to play Segura at shortstop. They could, but it's clear that there's a reluctance there. Uh, I would guess if he's not moved and he's dealing with 30 million over two years, it's tough to move him. I would guess he'd play second, Kingery super utility, maybe even get a chance to compete for the center field job. Um, and they would have to look for a shortstop. But, you know, there's not a lot out there. Um, you and I talked about Ahmed Rosario um, a couple days ago after, after Cesar Hernandez re-signed with the Indians to play second base. You're like, wow, uh, the Indians now have a bunch of middle infielders, Rosario <laughs> and Jimenez, the two guys they got from um, the Mets in the Lindor deal. So who's, you know, who's what? Would, would that make Rosario available? I'm sure they would listen. Um, really good athlete, still quite young, I think 25 years old, but inconsistent defensively, doesn't really get on base, but there's a lot of tools there. He's probably maybe not a finished product. Maybe you can get something out of him, but, you know, they're not going to give him away. He's got control for three years, uh, three years of contractual control remaining. Um, maybe the Phillies are looking for more defensively there. I don't know. I, I know they would like to put a, a good defender there because you look at Nola Wheeler and um, Zach Eflin, uh, they led a, a rotation last year, had a 49% ground ball rate. So you need somebody to catch the ball at, at shortstop. Not sure where they're going to go uh, if they don't get DD. Uh, Cincinnati's in on DD. I think they have a real reluctance to go more than one year. Um, I don't know if they can write the biggest check either. So I still think maybe there's a path back here for um, DD Gregorius. If not, I mean, the name on the trade market that, you know, I. I we all know and we all see out there and you all scratch your head and wonder about is Trevor's story, right? <laughs> wow. I mean, what a player. I love Trevor's story. I mean, he's what a player, yeah. He's, he's what a pretty player. underrated. I think a lot of people just think, oh, you know, Colorado puts up big offensive numbers, but he does it all. He's a great defender, very good base runner. Um, what about this ballpark, too, in this ballpark? You know, it's like coming to Colorado East. Yeah. Colorado yeah. without the mountains. It would take just – it would probably take way too much. I mean, why wouldn't the Rockies ask for the Phillies, like, two of their top three prospects, even though stories are uh, a looming free agent? You know, looking at the, the rest of the landscape, though, Didi's one of, like, three free agent shortstops left. I mean, the other guys, you're looking at Eric Sogard, who's a 35-year-old utility man. He's not a shortstop. You have Jonathan VR, who shortstop is not his best position. Um, Danny Santana, who's played a little shortstop, but he's mostly a utility guy. Uh, beyond that, I mean, I'm looking at like trade candidates who are lesser names in a story, maybe Nico Goodrum of the Tigers, but he doesn't really hit. There's Adalberto Mondesi in Kansas City, who I like a lot. But again, exciting young players, cost control. He's going to cost a lot in a trade. I know that you mentioned the importance of defense here. And I agree, you know, Andrelton Simmons would have been pretty clutch to have behind these ground ball pitchers. However, if there's no designated hitter in the National League this season, and the Phillies do not bring Didi Gregorius back. They could be looking at a six, seven, eight, nine of Gene Segura, the center fielder who's like Scott Kingery or Adam Hazley or Roman Quinn, then a light hitting shortstop, and then the pitcher. That's a pretty weak six, seven, eight, nine, as good as the top five is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, none of those names really excite me that you just rattled off. I'd almost rather play Didi. I mean, play Segura there and use some of that money to maybe fortify the bullpen more or, or get another pitcher. There's, there's, you know, there's other ways to improve your team. Um, but, you know, DD I think, comes in, and he brings a lot of intangible 
uh, impact, in my opinion. Very good in the clubhouse. I've heard such good things about him down in that room. Um, and I saw it last year in spring training. Um, I think he comes in and plays a solid, sound defense. Uh, I don't think it's a spectacular defense. But, you know, he gives you left side pop. I think that can be very valuable. I still like the idea of him on a short-term deal. I still lo- wonder what Freddie Galvis would have looked like. He got a million and a half bucks, right? And, um, boy, I mean, a lot of different opinions on Freddie. Either like him or you don't like him. But I think he would have come in and catch and, and really played good defense, catch the ball on a short-term deal for not a lot of money, and then kind of taken some of that money and really sunk it into the bullpen. Darren O'Day went to the Yankees on a very reasonable deal, like a couple million bucks. Um, there's still other good relievers out there. So what you might pay DD, you could have spread it out maybe over four guys. I mean, it's, it's something fun to kick around in, in debate. Um, but that said, if they can go out and get DD on a deal that works for them, um, bring it on. Yeah, I just wonder, like you said, like who else could beat a Phillies offer for DD? I mean, the Reds have cut costs this offseason. Um, and then look at the teams that still need a shortstop. Like the Oakland A's just lost Marcus Semien, who signed with the Blue Jays. Are the A's going to go out and sign Didi to a three-year deal? That's not their track record of spending. Um, and then just, you know, you run through the other teams in your, in your head that have spent this offseason. They all have shortstops. So, you know, I, uh, it just seems like, again, as it was with JT, it seems like this market kind of came back to the Phillies. The flip side is that they're going to be in rough shape if they don't bring DD back, as you just said, because they, you know, then they would be left with a light hitting shortstop, most likely, in addition to having missed out on some of those Darren O'Day types. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, it feels like it's coming to a head, too. I mean, I would think with the shortstop market clearing up so much this week that we could hear something on DD in the short term. Uh, I think he liked it here. I think he likes playing for Joe Girardi. Maybe that'll work in the Phillies' favor. Um, so we'll keep it, keep an eye on it. But it's, it's a significant hole. Um, middle of the diamond is always so important, you know. And they brought back um, JT at a big place in the middle of the diamond. Center field's still a head scratcher. Um, they have, admit, have, have admitted that they're considering bringing Oduble Herrera to camp. That'll be interesting if, if, if they do. I don't think you bring him into camp for show. I think you bring him into camp to compete. Um, so um, really they're looking at the middle of that diamond. And of course the bump in the middle of the diamond is the most important place on the field. Still, you know, I'm sure they're going to take a couple flyers on, on people in, in the bullpen and or um, the rotation here as the final weeks to spring training tick, tick down. If you've been looking for a new or certified Toyota, come be part of a team. With inventory arriving daily, we'll help you find a vehicle that works for your lifestyle and budget. We'll continue to ensure that your next buying experience is as safe and efficient as possible. Our service center is open with easy online scheduling and a quick, clean process to get you back on the road safely. So head to teamtoyota.net and be safe, be strong, be a team. Jim, did it surprise you that nobody was elected to the Hall of Fame this year? It's only the fourth time this has happened since 1960, first time since 2013. No, it didn't surprise me. Uh, it, it didn't surprise me. It sort of had been trending that way um, because later on in the process as the, you know, you have the public votes revealed and then the private vote votes are kind of sit on. Usually the projections usually go down when those private votes um, come out. So, uh, no, it, it didn't surprise me. And what it does is, I mean, we didn't have a, an induction this year for Jeter, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, David Montgomery, uh, the great Phillies president who's going to receive the Buck O'Neill Award. 
uh, Marvin Miller. So those guys will take center stage um, in July. Hopefully there will be a, um, an in-person ceremony, uh, induction, I should say. Uh, but it didn't surprise me. And next year, fascinating with Schilling and Bonds and um, um, Clemens all in their final year on, hmm. on, on the ballot. So who knows how it's going to shake out. It's, um, it's become a debate of more than baseball. It's become a debate of, uh, of morality. And um, frankly, I'm a little uncomfortable with it all. So, uh, you know, I, I, um, they're all great players, um, all those guys. Anybody who makes it on the Hall of Fame ballot, who goes through that initial vetting, you know, was a pretty damn good player. Even Shane Victorino, who was on the ballot for the first time this year, fell off the ballot, didn't get any votes. He made it on the Hall of Fame ballot. That, that means something. That would mean something. So um, hats off to everybody who was on the ballot. Well, two former Phillies will be on next year's ballot, and Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard. They'll be first-time eligible. Uh, Kurt Schilling actually asked to have his name removed from the ballot next year. It would be his 10th and final year of eligibility. Uh, he's just so fed up with the process and with sports writers in general. Um, so Scott Rowland was the biggest gainer. He gained, I think, 18%, got up to 53%. You need 75% uh, for election, for induction. So Rowland is trending that way. I mean, do you see him as a Hall of Famer? Do you think he could in uh, inevitably get in? Yeah, I think he's on a good track to get in. Uh, with the jumps he's making, he's over 50% now. and I, I don't have the the data, but usually guys that get over 50% at some point this early in their sort of their ballot life get there. And he was a great player. Watched him here in Philadelphia. I mean, big, strong kid, but threw his body around like an acrobat at third base. Could uh, really bring it um, across the diamond with strong arm, great hands, great defender. Uh, had some real big years at the plate. Um, won a World Series, won a ton of gold gloves. Um, you know, I can see why he's getting a lot of, a lot of support. I think, uh, and on top of it, a real, uh, quality guy sometimes gets a bad rap in, in Philadelphia. Um, it's always made me scratch my head a little bit having covered his entire time here in Philadelphia. He had really one frustration in that uh, the Phillies, he didn't think they were doing everything they could to win. Um, and he just wanted to play on a winning team. And uh, it coincided his time here with um, the latter days of the, of the vet and a rebuild and when the organizational priority was getting a stadium that would provide the revenues to um, bring the team into the future. And um, he just wanted the team to spend more money and do more things. And, and, and eventually they did, and he just missed it, right? He had moved on. Imagine if he had been part of that. He would have been the veteran sage on that on that. 07, 08, 09, right? As they were coming together. And you put, and that was such a great infield. Now you put him at third base. Um, thinking about, thinking about like Utley at second, Rollins at short, Rollins at third. I mean, just the defensive ability beyond, beyond everything else. Hey, I, one thing that I was thinking though, when I looked at these results and I, I see the, the groundswell for Rollins to make it is like Andrew Jones is, is in such a similar situation, premium defensive player at a premium defensive position. I mean, as good of a third baseman as Roland was, wouldn't you say that Jones was like his equal in center field or something close to it? Only giving the eye test here, yes. I mean, I saw yeah, him run, run down, ball, run down yeah. balls for years. And, uh, and he was so smooth and so gifted. I, there were baseball men that I really trusted, you know, scouts over the years. I remember talking to one in particular, um, guy who played the big leagues for a long time, 
scouted for the Phillies briefly, scouted for a number of other teams in, in, a, in a long and pretty distinguished career. And he said Andrew Jones was the best, uh, best defender in center field he, he had ever seen. So, um, wow. you know, the Hall of Fame is for, you know, transcendent talents, in my opinion. Um, it's a really high bar. I mean, 75% is a high bar in any election, right? Uh, and it should be a high bar. So, um, like I said, just, just get that 50% is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. So, I think Scotty Rowland might be on his way. Um, it might, might be on his way. So, and, and Billy Wagner made a little bit of a jump as well. I mean, you know, I, he was a great one. Uh, boy, he, you know, he was a fearless guy, um, always took the ball, threw strikes, you know, rung up people, went after tough uh, pockets of lineups d- deep in the game. So, you know, he might be trending in, in the right direction as well. It'll be fascinating to see what happens here in coming winters. You know, I think what really helped Billy Wagner was his appearance on the Phillies Talk podcast. You know, I think it could have. I really do. Um, <laughs> he was great talking to him um, back, what was it, May? I think we talked to him in April or May. He was awesome. Uh, he's so entertaining. Such a, such, a, um, such a fun guy and such a real great story of, uh, to me of what being a competitor and, uh, and what sports is all about. This is a kid who – a little, as a little guy, I think he was five or eight or nine years old, he broke his right arm. He's a natural right-hander. He broke his right arm, but he continued to want to throw footballs and baseball, so he started throwing left-handed. And, oh, by the way, became the hardest-throwing left-hander on the planet at one point in time. And he literally was the hardest-throwing left-hander on the planet at one stage of his life. And he kind of had that short arm, you know, boom, quick short arm, choppy, chop uh, delivery almost like he was throwing a football and that's because he started throwing a football left-handed after he broke his arm playing football uh broke his right arm and i mean he eats right-handed he, th- he writes right-handed but he throws a baseball and a football um left-handed and a remarkable um story to get to the big leagues kind of reminds me of, i think i've told you this story before i'm getting on one of my famous tangents, I apologize, but uh, Milt Thompson, who played on the 93 Phillies, former Phillies hitting coach, played with the Braves, the Cardinals, the Phillies, had a really excellent career, great guy. He, um, he grew up near, I think he grew up near Washington, D.C., and Jackie Robinson was his favorite player, and he always wanted to be a second baseman like Jackie Robinson. So he signs up for Little League, and he was left-handed, so the coach sticks him in, in outfield, right, you know, because he's left-handed. And he says, I want to play second base. And the coach says, well, left-handers, they really don't play second base. And so he went home and he told his father. His father said, you know, how, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want to play second base? Well, they went out in the yard that night and started throwing right-handed. And they did it for two or three years. And he ends up playing second base in college, t- teaching himself to throw right-handed, natural lefty, teaching himself to throw right-handed, ends up playing second base in college, gets drafted, um, um, mostly on the strength of his bat. and." Um, ends up in the outfield at that point in his life, which he was fine with. He was going to the big leagues. Uh, but he taught himself to throw right-handed so he could play second base like Jackie Robinson. I thought that was a pretty neat story. You never know where the Phillies Talk podcast is going to take you. If you're interested in listening to that uh, Billy Wagner interview that we were referencing, you can check it out back in the archives. It was really good stuff. It was Jim with two closers. It was Ricky Bowe and Billy Wagner. So that was a fun conversation. That's going to do it for today. He's Jim. I'm Corey. Thanks for listening. Talk to you early next week.
Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.